So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This past week, there was a lot of talk about one particular body of Canadian politics. Cabinet. Cabinet. The Trudeau Cabinet. And the 15 women that were appointed to the federal cabinet. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was sworn in last week, and along with him, he brought his new cabinet. By that we mean the high-profile MPs with titles like Minister of Foreign Affairs and Minister of Science. It got a lot of people talking because, for the very first time, there are an equal number of men and women in the cabinet. But all of this talk got me wondering, what kind of power do cabinet ministers have? Obviously, a title like Minister of Health means they've got some pretty big responsibilities, but can that minister use the influence the way they want? Or does the title mean they have to stick to the party talking points? And what does their appointment tell us about the current government? We'll get to that conversation in a minute. I'm Andre Demise. Desmond Cole is away this week. He's up in the Great White North in Yellowknife. This is Canada Land. Cause. This episode is brought to you by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CJFE fights to keep free expression alive in Canada and around the world. Among their work, they've created a searchable database of Edward Snowden's National Security Leaks and helped lead the campaign to free Canadian journalist Mohamed Fahmy from an Egyptian prison. They rely on memberships from people like you to keep going. I asked their executive director, Tom Hennifer, what you get as a CGFE member. The number one thing that it gets you is you get to vote and elect board members. So you actually have a say in determining CJFE's strategic direction. You get to attend our AGM where that happens. You get to attend any special events that we throw throughout the year. We're doing a, a series of pub nights with journalists. You get access to our newsletter, so you stay informed about us. And more than that, you're supporting the work that we do. We need financial sustainability. And the best way to get that is with these memberships that renew every year so that we know exactly what our budget is. Because being a nonprofit in Canada, it's very difficult to raise funds to do your work. And the people who join us are helping with that fight. As a listener of Commons, you get a 70% discount on that membership. Just go to cgfe.org, enter the word Canada Land when you sign up. Do it. Make your voice heard. I'm joined now by two guests who will help me make sense of this new cabinet. J.P. Lewis is an assistant professor of political science at the University of New Brunswick. He specializes in cabinetry. Uh, He's also in St. John right now. J.P., thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, Sachi Cole is a senior writer at BuzzFeed Canada. She's with me here in Toronto. Sachi, hello. 
How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm delightful. Can you remember a time in your life when people have ever talked about the cabinet this much? No, <laughs> I- <laughs> not at all. And I will say that I am uh, like I am upsettingly young, so maybe it's just the fact that I don't have a great frame of reference. But yeah. I don't know anybody who could probably pinpoint the last time we talked about a cabinet. I can't this ever much. remember any time we've discussed, especially the whole thing about merit. Like you have to have qualifications to be in the cabinet. Yeah, I kind of always thought like whoever's in the cabinet is like the PM's butt. Right, like the dudes that came up with them through the nomination <laughs> yeah. contest, and maybe they went to like Upper Canada College sure, together. You know, yeah, but I, I'd never seen anyone talk about like how much merit you have to. Well, have. that conversation only comes up when somebody tries to take away "quote unquote" merit from like straight white men. <laughs> so as soon as that becomes a conversation, then we need to talk about. Like, okay, who's so we're it. already there. All right, JP, what powers do cabinet members have that ordinary MPs do not have? So, and just to make a note on the attention this cabinet has garnered, it's almost like as someone who studies cabinet, it's like if you had a, a favorite indie band you liked, and suddenly they shot up the charts and, and uh, sold out, and everyone's paying attention. <laughs> it's so strange to see this much attention. Um, ca- so, cabinet- <laughs> I liked cabinet before it was cool. <laughs> You're like a hipster cabinet person. I am a hipster cabinet person. Like a Green Day fan in 1990. (laughs) That ends really sadly, though. So uh, cabinet ministers are much more powerful than uh, your ordinary member of parliament. They obviously sit in this executive body where they have the ear of the prime minister. They are the head of, uh, of departments, those that are attached to departments. And cabinet is very powerful in the sense that it makes the, the key decisions and sets the priorities for government. But there's a big asterisk beside it because of the dynamic and evolving relationship between the ministers and the prime minister. Okay. And do they have a responsibility to toe the party line? It's a core responsibility. So if a minister doesn't support the the party line, the government's position, they should resign from cabinet. And we've seen that happen on rare occasion. Uh, Normally those things may get sorted out behind closed doors. But in recent history, uh, Michael Chong, the current Conservative MP, resigned over the government's position on recognizing Quebec as a nation. Before that, in the Paul Martin government, Joe Camusi resigned over the government's position on same-sex marriage. But collective cabinet responsibility uh, basically helps cabinet run because cabinet is the government. What I also noticed when uh, Justin Trudeau appointed his cabinet was that the names of a lot of ministries changed. For example, Aboriginal Affairs is no longer called Aboriginal Affairs. It's Indigenous and Northern Affairs. So how does that work? So it's important to remember that our constitution has very few details about the role of the Prime Minister and the Cabinet itself. So it's really the Prime Minister's prerogative to do whatever they want, how they organize Cabinet, what type of ministers they have, what portfolios that they're going to have. And in terms of organization or types of portfolios, I just looked up some some old examples to give you an idea of how arbitrary or unique these can be. In 1995, for example, the government of New Brunswick had a portfolio called Electronic Information Highway, obviously the internet. They were trying to figure it out in the in the mid-90s. But as you mentioned, all these different names, uh, the renaming of things that Trudeau has done, all prime ministers have done. Sachi, when you look at uh, Chido's cabinet, what are your first impressions? Like I'm sleepy, mostly. <laughs> like I, I, 
I get why people are really excited about it, but I just, I have a very hard time mustering up a lot of enthusiasm for like anything. And then on top of it to have enthusiasm for like government that has historically ignored great swaths of people. Right. <laughs> like, I guess it's good, but like, I don't know. I could take a nap. Well, I mean, we, we did see uh, a, a few surprising things. I mean, people of color are actually highly represented, yeah. although, I mean, it depends on, you know, what sort of backgrounds you're yeah, looking at. Yeah, it does. But. I mean, like, th- obviously, there are a lot of brown faces in the uh, in the cabinet, which is great. But right. I th- And I mean, I think you were speaking to this during the week, is that there are no black no faces. No black faces <laughs> in the cabinet. In the cabinet Even whatsoever. though we've had a higher uh, number of black MPs elected than we ever have had before. Yeah, yeah. In one caucus. Right. And so, I mean, obviously, there are gaps. And I mean... You can see that with like I don't think there's a lot of queer representation or like trans representation. The only name I can think of off the top is Scott Bryson, but that's right. But I mean, I guess you have to think about like, is that enough? Yeah, right. Like that's sort of the question. I think the nice thing about it is that you see the number of people of color and you see how many women, and now we can ask for more. So whenever these things happen and when they progress in a way that is positive, then the next time that we have to do this, we get to ask for more. What I'm also seeing a little bit of is almost like cabinet ministers are receiving the most applause for doing the least. Like, oh my gosh, Nadi (laughs) Beans announces we're bringing back the long form census. Woo! Long form census! It's it's literally like, I won't murder any scientists. They're like, (laughs) who who wants a medal? I didn't know the bar was that low. It was that low, yeah. But I mean, at least they're clearing it. We're not going to sack public sector employees for, I don't know, doing their jobs. I know. It's really amazing. I loved how excited people were specifically about the long-form census. I've never seen people so excited about paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have either. Um, What can the cabinet appointments tell you about the direction of the government? Still, we're just dealing with, uh, you know, a weekend, a PR move. Uh, the optics are there and then we'll need to have the substance to follow. Some people were pointing out there's gender parity at full cabinet, but who's on some of the more powerful cabinet committees, which are mainly the main site of decision making in cabinet. And as Sachi was saying, it's such a low bar, you know, just watching the ministers come out to the microphone outside of the cabinet meeting and seeing the press be so excited to ask some questions on a number of topics but that they had no answers to but just as one uh, one example of how low the bar was that microphone had been removed for almost a decade one of the first things the harper government did was take the microphone away from outside of the cabinet meeting room where also they had stopped telling the press when they were having cabinet meetings so they wouldn't be able to gather and try to scrum ministers so i mean there is it was amusing seeing these ministers come out with just, you know, my name is, and I can't wait to talk about it. Each one said the same thing. A few senior ministers or veteran ministers had other thoughts. But, I mean, just bringing the microphone back, that being achievement, shows where we were with cabinet government. In the swearing-in ceremonies, both for Prime Minister Trudeau and for uh, the members of his cabinet, it seemed almost pageant-like. Like people were just like speculating so hard, like who's going to be in Dustin Trudeau's cabinet this time? Is this a normal thing? It doesn't feel normal to me. <laughs> but again, like, isn't I feel like maybe that's just a function of like we're just excited that we're getting any access, like yeah. any access at all is amazing, and I think it's okay to be excited on a short term scale about it because it is exciting but obviously it's an incredibly low bar now there's a a tremendous amount of work to do and there are a ton of questions that need to be answered i mean being a a young and jaded person myself jp i'm not really sure if this is a normal thing no it's not normal at all and and to add to the point on access and the swearing in i mean the last time the harper government shuffled their cabinet uh media 
was outside Rideau Hall trying to ask questions and they were being blocked by the vans taking the ministers away. So this is... This is completely, you can go look up the video. They're shouting questions from across the little driveway as ministers would come out of the front door and then get in the van on the other side. So, I mean, again, to the low bar. But no, this is not normal. I mean, I would say what has been more normal is mid-government appointments where there's these so-called star candidates you know, back to the 90s after the referendum, Chrétien recruited Stéphane Dion and Pierre Pettigrew to deal with the Quebec file. A few years later, he, he got Brian Tobin, the Premier of Newfoundland. Um, the most dramatic uh, cabinet-making probably of Harper's tenure was also his first cabinet when he shocked media um, and political observers with David Emerson being appointed, who had run as a liberal and then was appointed as a conservative cabinet minister. That's actually something else I was going to ask you, if it's normal to appoint cabinet ministers from across party lines. No, it's not normal at all. Okay, because I I did hear a lot of people calling for Elizabeth May, for example, to be appointed as uh, minister of the environment. You know, people were saying, well, we may have very, very experienced people being left out due to to the gender parity stuff and also due to regional uh, parity. Judy Scrow, who is a, a longtime liberal, has served for a lot of years, didn't get a cabinet position. So how, like, how do we figure out who ends up getting picked and why? Is there any sort of reasoning to this? So that's why I found um, the whole merit argument I found was very beside the point. Uh, cabinet has never been about merit. It's been about representing certain interests. So when we go back to Confederation, it was, you know, about representing a smaller Canada, the few regions, and then English, French, Catholic, Protestant, and then very slowly this changed to, to what we have now, which is now we have a, regardless of what happens going forward, at, at least hopefully you can't turn back on some of these key markers that were made in terms of, of representation. But in the past, the people who would be appointed to cabinet were normally maybe MPs who had run for the leadership or who had been ministers in previous governments. You would have all this experience built up, especially when you had, you know, the middle of the last century, the liberals that were in power for decades. So that's normally what we would see. But I think that's changed a lot because the different groups that need to be represented have been expanded. Okay, so uh, Sachi, just a, a quick question for you then. What are some areas you would want to see represented but aren't being represented right now? In the cabinet? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm in a, in a position of great privilege because I'm very middle class. Right. Uh, I am a woman of color, but I am a light-skinned woman of color, so <laughs> right. I have a set of privilege, privileges there. Uh, well, I mean, for I'm, example, there's no you know minister of youth. No, there isn't. I mean, like, I think a lot about actually abortion accessibility is always something that frustrates me because I think a lot of people think that like, oh, it's legal here. So everybody's totally taken care of. Right. And I feel like that's a conversation that often gets ignored. I don't think trans issues are addressed in this country. Like the trans suicide rate is outrageous. Right. And I don't see that addressed here. But um, I mean, in terms of my like very selfish insular (laughs) existence, like I'm pretty taken care of. (laughs) So I don't have a lot of issues. But I mean, I recognize that there are massive swaths of the country that are are pretty ignored. That are being left out. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like there's I think one of the cabinet members is from the north and the rest are like there are a couple from the west and then 
a lot of them are bulked around Very essential, here. yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that is something that I don't think is new. I think that happens pretty frequently. But I mean, it's it's easy to get excited about diversity when you see like a couple of like vaguely not white people yeah, yeah. around and you're like, oh, we did it. Well, yeah, it's, it's really funny. Like when they take the, the, the pictures of people who are either in cabinet or who are yeah. in caucus and you actually see like, Brown and black faces sort of dotted here. And then I was like, woo, we got represented. Yeah. That's awesome. I know. And then you look at it and you're like, mm. <laughs> like is, did we? Like, and yeah. it, you know, I mean, the other thing is like, I don't think any of this would be done if they weren't deeply popular decisions. Right. Like, I don't think Trudeau would go out of his way to have women and people of color in his cabinet if he didn't think it was like a deeply political, smart choice. Yeah. Well, he had a pretty good answer when he was asked why. The gender parity question. I found it annoying. Really? Yeah, I thought it was obnoxious. You didn't like because it's 2015? It's condescending. Okay. It's a condescending answer. Like, fuck you. Yeah, it's 2015. The rest of us have been talking about this for how long? And like, this True. white dude shows up and he's like, I did it. <laughs> I fixed it. Yeah. Like, it It was, I, I get it. I understand what he was driving at. But like, it was annoying. And then he st- like does that little shrug. That little shrug, just, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to hit him in the mouth. Like, <laughs> it, it is condescending. And I, I don't, it's not, he's not wrong. Like, yeah. this should have been happening decades ago. I just want to point out for any RCMP listeners that Sasha Cole doesn't, she doesn't actually intend on hitting. I will actually punch him in the, the mouth. Prime Minister in the mouth. I might kiss him on the mouth, though. Very handsome. Okay, moving right along, JP. What, <laughs> JP, do you have some thoughts on um, on you know who may not be represented in cabinet that should be? Sure, and I, I mean to add to Sachi's cynicism about um, the the line. I don't know if you saw on the National that night with Peter Mansbridge's bus ride and and background uh, insider. <laughs> no, I missed that. It, it but, was like but one key part was it showed them chatting in the PMO, and I think it was Trudeau's advisor Jerry Butts. Uh, giving him the it's 2015 line. So not only might we be cynical about the line, but also it was a... You oh, know, so that one was, was created by committee. But yeah, of course it was, it's artifice. Like, of course it's artifice. What experience does he have directly about, like, any of these diversity metrics or measures? It's fine. It's okay for it to be artifice. That doesn't bother me. But, yeah. like, don't don't treat me like an idiot. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and, JP, just back to the, uh, the issue. What are some cabinet positions that either existed and don't anymore... That should be, uh, or areas that you think could be represented uh, in, in cabinet. I don't know if there's many that we we would need to bring back. I, I think it there's two things though. Um, you know, there's a lot made about not only the gender parity and the diversity, but that this was such a small cabinet. You know, Trudeau had made that pledge during the campaign. That's also nothing new. Uh, most prime ministers, most premiers talk about starting with a small cabinet. And then in terms of representing other interests, that's normally in the past, that's what made cabinet grow, was right. that PMs were trying to balance this, keeping the the old way of of appointing, you know, kind of patronage or or regional power brokers in the party, but also wanting some diversity. So that's why we saw, you know, under Mulroney, under Kretchen, under Harper, their cabinets creep up from initially year on thirty up to forty. Um, the glass half full, optimistic way to look at where some of these groups or, or policy areas might be represented is again to see what ministers we think may have influence in cabinet and if they've been either have a record or, or spoken publicly about say, you know, trans Canadians or, or other groups, you know, cabinet isn't like you too, where it's democratic decision-making and, you know, Bono and, and the edge and, and Adam Clayton all have the same say. I'm sorry. We're all just like getting to ourselves. <laughs> I'm, I don't think we're going to be able to hold it together. Past is that, that is that a thing that, 
that the they do. I had no idea that's yeah, what they YouTube do. does. They do. Well, you have to wait for my analogy of what, how okay, cabinet sorry, actually ahead. works. And this isn't a stretch for me. I use this when I teach. Uh, cabinet is a lot more like the Wu Tang Clan, where. Um, <laughs> You, okay. have, you have the powerful prime minister with Riza, and you have... Some, he would be Riza. Oh, oh, my God. This is great. Keep going. And you have a few key ministers around them, Method Man and Ghostface <laughs> uh, and Raekwon. But then you have other ministers like You God or Inspect a Deck that they probably don't have as much say when they're in the studio. That's the same as Cabinet. Harper had a, a few, like Jason Kenney was maybe... Maybe Raekwon or Jizzle. <laughs> this is ruining music this for me. This is awesome. I'm sorry. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened on the show. I don't care what you say. <laughs> so, for example, uh, you know, someone who in the past, like Carolyn Bennett, who, who right. may have been public with progressive positions. So, those of us who are concerned with, you know, those items not being represented, maybe there's hope there. There's always the chance that there will be centralization in the prime minister's office where it's even removed from the most powerful cabinet ministers and basically the government agenda trumps all other concerns. So, I mean, we always have to be worried about that. We're a growing country and we're becoming an increasingly diverse country. What then is the virtue of trying to shrink the cabinet when there are more people and more interests to represent? I think it's been, you know, this narrative of streamlined, smaller government. I, and, and I think regardless of the party, they always revert back to that. But then they grow. They know they can't do it. And they realize that if we look at it, again, just cynically and politically, that there may be benefits from expanding cabinet to reflect other groups. Well, I guess uh, that leads me into the next question. I mean, given that they've got a hell of a lot of promises to live up to, you know, bringing in 25,000 Syrian refugees, bringing back door-to-door mail service, dealing with really sticky issues like assisted suicide, prostitution, possible marijuana decriminalization. Given that there's all of this and given that there's a streamlined cabinet to deal with all of these sticky issues, how long do we give them until we actually get mad at them? I like that this functions on the assumption that we will eventually get mad at them because that is true. Yeah. I think political honeymoons are getting shorter and shorter. It's like your second night at Punta Cana at the buffet and you're upset. Like yeah. the, this, uh, and, and, and especially, you know, I'm sure the Trudeau folks are happy about last week, but I mean, he was benefiting from a low bar about himself during the campaign. Right. And now the bar's been raised to, I don't want to say Obama, you know, 08 levels, but they're going to have a very challenging 2016 because I think there is all this, you know, the, the different policy areas you mentioned and the promises that they had made that people think they're, they're going to be fulfilled. Sashi, what do you think is sort of um, a best case scenario for what happens next? And, and what's a worst case scenario? <laughs> Like the best case scenario is that like I survive personally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like, I mean, the worst case scenario is that they do absolutely nothing. And I guess the best case is like they do some of it. Every government will fail you eventually. What would you want to see happen this time around? Hmm. I mean, like the long form census is a really good start. Yeah. The fact that he's unmuzzling scientists is a really good start. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's going to take some actual questions is a really good start. I don't know. I have a hard time sort of like guessing what I think will work because I just know eventually something something dumb is going to come out of his mouth or something isn't going to happen. Everything feels like a mess all the time. Yeah. So I almost feel like any acknowledgement of things being a mess to me is like, great. 
you're listening. Well, yeah, but you just said that's a really low bar to have. It is a really low bar to have. I admit that, but we have a really low bar because the last nine years. So aren't there some like great things that could be around the corner? For example, dealing with uh, Indigenous affairs sure. um, and creating a better relationship with Canada's or Indigenous people in Canada. I mean, listen, if if he uh, even kind of starts to address the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women, yeah, I will throw him a parade <laughs> if okay. he starts to deal with it. Okay, because that is not an issue that is at all acknowledged like it's a weird like remember when they were doing that whole barbaric hotline thing yeah so he was really like the whole thing about that was like we're going to protect women and girls and we're like they're being murdered over here and you're not dealing with it so if it's if that's a discussion that we can even begin to have and there's something they figure something out about it great but that is again like the least they could possibly do at this point so i almost feel like every everything in my head that I'm thinking of like, oh yeah, that'd be nice. But it's also like, it's the least he could do. (laughs) JP, do you have any thoughts on this? Sure. So my litmus test would be if, you know, if we're asking the question, is this government that much different from any government before? Uh, One, one area we could focus on are democratic institutions, because that's an area where almost every prime minister, premier coming in says, oh, we're going to practice government differently. So, for example, if Trudeau actually pursues electoral reform and, you know, pursues it with the intention of, of there being reform, uh, that to me would mean that things are somewhat different. Or if, you know, we continue on that we've seen so far where ministers are available and ministers are expressing ideas, because those would be differences than in the past, and almost every new PM we get says that's going to be different, and it it doesn't change. Sachi. Yes. If Sachi Cole could have a cabinet position invented, so she could then be the voice of Canada's prime minister and his cabinet, what what position would that be? Maybe just like the department of no bullshit. Just like don't fuck around with me. That would just be that would just get shirts that said don't fuck around with me. Okay. Well, you and the Canadian and public. And that's all I, I would do. Sorry? Yeah. You and the Canadian public, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. You can have some. Unless Almost. they fuck around with me, in which case they can't. <laughs> Almost like uh, uh, an ombudsman? Yes. In some sense. <laughs> a, a loud, aggressive, possibly offensive ombudsman <laughs> that no <laughs> that nobody really wants to be around. JP, what do you think of a cabinet position? The minister of no bullshit. Would that actually work? Uh, it depends, I guess, who's their staff. If the PM staffs the minister of bullshit staff, then they still might be controlling the communications around what is bullshit and what is not bullshit. So you need a third party is what he's saying. Yeah, okay. you need a, you need a uh, minister responsible for the minister of bullshit. <laughs> and then we end up with a bureaucratic so pyramid. semantic <laughs> like, so, it's exhausting <laughs> which is probably why we don't have one of those ministers of no bs yeah well i mean if you don't if you want if you don't want to take any bullshit you're probably not going to sit around and like have a committee final thoughts are we hopeful are we cautious are we pessimistic i'll be i'll be cautiously optimistic but i'm prepared to be disappointed yeah it's it's tough not to be cautious i was teaching my intro to canadian class the the day after the swearing in and i if any of the students were you know playing a drinking game where they had to drink every time i i said i'm trying not to be cynical but i mean it would have been a raging kegger because it's just based on the precedent of 
every leader that's come before, regardless of you know what what they've said, reform is really slow. Sachi Cole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, JP Lewis, all the way from New Brunswick. Thank you so much for uh, for coming in today and giving us an education on the cabinet. Thanks so much for having me. Have a good one, guys. That's it for today's episode. To continue the conversation on Twitter, and I really suggest you do, just search for Canada Land Commons. It'll be the first result you find. Our producer is Kevin Sexton, music by Nathan Burley. To go to the Canada Land website, just visit canadalandshow.com. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, that's not sorry. To email me with feedback, you can email andre at canadalandshow.com. And if you have show feedback, show ideas, you can email kevin at canadalandshow.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please support us. Visit patreon.com slash canadaland. Canada Land Shortcuts will be back on Thursday, and Canada Land Commons is back next week, Tuesday. No, I've been using the Wu-Tang since I started teaching in 08. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.